Hello, magic makers. Welcome back to the Metaphysical Apothecary Podcast. As always, we are super excited to have you here today, and we are particularly excited to talk about today's topic, which will be broken up into a several-part series because there's so much in it that we want to explore. It's the subject of pop pantheons. This has been something that has been gaining ground in the pagan community. Several of my favorite YouTube witches have spoken on it already. Molly Roberts is the first person that I heard speak about this, and the idea is intriguing for many different reasons. So if you've never heard of a pop pantheon before, basically the idea is that you look at the figures from popular culture that you consume and channel those energies into workings, into your magic. This idea, it does a couple of different things. One, if you are an atheist witch, you can work with multiple different kinds of archetypes and energies without dedicating yourself to a deity or feeling weird about not being a theist. The other big thing that it helps us do is avoid cultural appropriation. So sometimes there's an energy that we want to work with that we know that we can't in good faith divorce from its culture and simply just use that energy. Ganesh is a good example. Some people would feel comfortable using his energy or calling on him to help remove obstacles from their life. But there are others, myself included, that don't feel that they're educated enough or deeply steeped enough in the Hindu belief system to call upon that energy respectfully. The wonderful thing is that you can choose another obstacle breaker <laughs> from your favorite book, television show, etc., to help you push through that problem. Pop Pantheons is really where you would start diving into the potential archetypes and energies to work with. So if you have a fandom, Finding a archetype there to work with, you're golden. You know that fandom inside and out so you can create your own pantheon. Yes, you can create your own suite of energies that you can call upon to bring whatever you need to a working. For instance, if you do need to break obstacles, the doctor from Doctor Who would be an amazing energy to call on. Someone who can traverse all of time and space with impunity has multiple different faces. The doctor has 13 different energies for you to choose from. So you can call on any of those energies for the problem that you're having to help you break through. The word archetypes is something that we throw around a lot. What that is, is basically figures or symbols that embody a particular energy. For instance, the tarot is an excellent, excellent example of archetypes that we work with all the time. No matter what tarot deck you have, the lovers is going to have a similar meaning in every single deck. The symbolism may change, the general feeling of it may change, but the basic meaning is not going to change. It's the same with the runic system or even with groups of deities. Underworld deities are a good example of this. In most cases, especially with goddesses of the underworlds rather than gods, they're pretty scary, but mm -hmm. only to people 
who don't follow them. Hecate is a great example of this. She'll lead you down your path. She'll hold the torch for you and she'll lead you to where you need to go. Hell has a similar way of acting toward people without an invitation, without permission. Then they become pretty scary if the Morrigan is the same way. Without respect. Mm -hmm. If you're pushing into their territory, into their energy field without respect, Yep. So these three goddesses all have deep similarities with each other. There are differences as well, but there are archetypes because there are specific things that they share. Sovereign deities do the same thing. If you are linked to these particular energies, you have the divine right of rulership over your tribe, your country, over whatever boundary you set or has been set for your group of people. Morian is one of them. The Bridget is another. You have Zeus. You, you definitely have the judo-christian god linked to being sovereign energies and passing on the divine right to rule to kings. Mm -hmm. and once you break them down, they're vastly different energies, but their archetype of the sovereign energy does the same thing. Uh, another set of archetypes that we work with on a relatively regular basis in general is the 12 archetypes zodiac. Oh, yeah. So when someone is asking what sign your son happens to be in, they're looking to understand an archetype energy you may put off. So as Scorpios, and we reference this often, we know mm -hmm. that our archetypal energy is usually linked to things that are dark and misunderstood in some way shape or form yes the taboos and the underworld and death and dying and mm -hmm. black cats and halloween it's an archetypal genre of things for scorpio yes anything that is creepy or frightening a scorpio is likely going to gravitate toward because interestingly enough one of the hallmarks of the scorpios are deep wells of compassion and empathy we're not seen that way because we guard our energy very closely <laughs> but we have a lot of compassion and empathy and that's why we gravitate toward the darker creepier side of things a lot of time yeah we also are not seen that way because we don't as you said we're guarding our energy we're guarding our our, our person our being from senseless things like small talk mm -hmm. it's very very rare for you to find a scorpio archetypal individual who enjoys small talk mm -hmm. those deep wells of compassion also have deep wells of intimate level of understanding i want a real conversation so i can know you who you are how you think Yep. And small talk is a little too shallow for a Scorpio archetype individual to be able to get that type of information and thus usually see it as pointless. Uh -huh. Scorpio archetypal individuals and archetypal energy is something that anyone can work with, whether or not you happen to have Scorpio in one of your big three placements, whether it's the sun, moon, or rising. Uh -huh. It's an archetypal energy that has been around for millennia. You can work with any of the 12 
archetypes of the zodiac whether or not you happen to have your big three there uh -huh. so you can be an aries and take charge even if you don't have aries as a sun moon or rising sign uh -huh. or you could tap into virgo archetypal energy and clean house and be meticulous about your details and you don't need to have that archetypal energy in a prominent place in your own particular chart no in fact, this technique can be especially useful if you don't have that particular energy in a prominent place in your chart and you feel like you need to channel that yes. so you can tap into it. Mm -hmm. As a person who studies astrology, everyone has all 12 of those signs in their chart. Mm -hmm. It's just whether or not it's easier to tap into or not. Right. On any particular day, it's a great way to tap into archetypal energy, even if you don't have a fandom that you're particularly well versed in. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you can use the pagan fandom. <laughs> One of the wonderful things about working with archetypes from our pop pantheons is that we can take these general characters with this set of particular characteristics and we can choose someone for an energy to work with that we're intimately comfortable with. You don't have to choose someone you know nothing about. A lot of people in the pagan community love doing their research. Shannon and I are that way. <laughs> But if you're just starting out or you're teaching little witchlings, that's another way that pop pantheons can be used to familiarize people with how magic works, how spellcraft works, how working with deity can work. Pop pantheon archetype energies that is relatively popular. Huh? Harry Potter and the Wizarding World. Yep, a fandom that is fairly controversial at this point, and that's Harry Potter and the Wizarding World. We will be talking about Harry Potter and our love of Harry Potter. We want to put a caveat in here that we support and stand with everyone from the LGBTQ plus community, from communities of color who have found a home in Harry Potter and continue to enjoy Harry Potter. We do not share the opinions or the viewpoints of the author. So we will be talking about this from the viewpoint of people who have found a home here, people who have found beauty in it. Mm -hmm. And to work with it. Yes. One of the ways to break this down is you have plenty of archetypes within the characters, but you can also break down the Hogwarts houses into different archetypes themselves. Yes. And that's how I happen to work with this particular fandom. I break it down into the four houses. When I'm part of a hiring team, one of the first questions I will ask is whether or not they are in a Hogwarts house and what house they're in. The answer usually allows me to know where they generally place themselves. Are you a person who is very outgoing, like a Gryffindor? Do you classify yourself as a Ravenclaw archetype person who's going to need to have a little bit more of a routine and a schedule and rules so that way you can thrive in the environment. Exactly. Caveat about Ravenclaws. We want to know what the rules are, why they're there, so we can choose which ones we want to ignore. <laughs> yeah, I give them as few rules as possible and they come out with more rules for the next. <laughs> we create our own guidelines. 
Yeah. <laughs> Slytherin archetype energy is about power. Mm -hmm. And depending on the Slytherin, because when you're dealing with a Slytherin like myself, who's also a librarian, knowledge is power. So I go in and go, here's a very small base of rules that need to be followed. And these are the reasons. Uh, Slytherin archetype energy, I also find to be chaotic. Mm. And then there's the Hufflepuff, which is my favorite archetype. Hufflepuff archetype energy. They are very warm and hard individuals. My sister and my wife are both Hufflepuffs, and both of them will do whatever is asked of them to the best of their ability. They'll give mm -hmm. their best all the time. However, the dark side of the Hufflepuff is still very Hufflepuff typical in that if you come in and try to disrupt their harmonious home or try to do harm to someone who is part of their circle, that's going to be a problem. This is just a basic understanding of four particular houses, four archetypes that allow me to know loosely how you work, why you work that way, and how best can I support you? Mm -hmm. What energy do they give off and how can we best align the environment to work with that energy? Moving on to another fandom that is split very neatly into four elements, Avatar The Last Airbender and Legends of Korra are one of my favorite universes. The Avatar universe is one of my favorite universes to play in energetically. So for anyone who's not familiar with Avatar The Last Airbender and Legends of Korra, it's a fantasy world in which there are four kinds of benders and they bend the four elements, air, earth, water, and fire. It's a very fun world, lots and lots of spiritual exploration that is easily accessible for both children and adults. So anyone who's looking to create a spiritual life who doesn't have one or who struggles with that, go ahead and watch these shows. They might help. The thing that Last Airbender and Korra did for me was the archetype of the elements themselves. So when you watch people bend in these shows, each bending technique for each different element is based on a different kind of martial art. So this was when I was in my late teens and early 20s that I would first watch this show when I was first coming into my pagan-tastic self and learning how to work with energy. So watching how these people moved, watching how they gathered up their element and directed it, and the different ways that they moved based on how they were using it, helped me understand how energy flows in different systems in our world, how to bring energies together. One of the best examples of this is the episode where the earthbender, Toph, is trying to teach the main character, Aang, the avatar, how to earthbend. And he is an airbender, but he's trying to learn all of the other techniques as well. And she keeps telling him, this is the opposite of air. This is different. You have to stand your ground with earth. You have to show it who's boss. You have to reframe your thinking and you have to dig your toes in and earthbend. This is one of those moments where I was like, okay, so when I'm working with certain certain problems with certain energies when I'm doing a particular working, I might have to change the energy that is flowing through my body, flowing through the working. What do I need right now? And you would have to change your mindset in order to get that. 
Yes. Uh-huh. So another fandom that I particularly enjoy that can break down into different elements is The Legend of Zelda, which has multiple games that you could use to, in order to understand yourself or the archetypal energy for a pantheon, for a working, for your own shadow work. I happen to like using the Windwalker game, but Twilight Princess is also something I tap into because that also has shadow work and shadow world work. So you can find different archetypes in different games that may be carried forward, like Link is always carried forward because he's the hero on the journey, and that's an archetype. Uh -huh. Or you could use the archetypal energy that's pulled forward with Zelda. She's an archetypal energy as well. You could use the villain archetype that's pulled forward in most of the Legend of Zelda games, or the breakdown of spirits that Legend of Zelda games tend to have, whether it's for the elements of water, fire, air, or earth archetypal energies. Uh -huh. So it's a very diverse and very deep fandom that you can traverse into if you're looking for archetypal energies and you're a gamer. Right. Video games are an incredible treasure trove of archetypes that you can dig into. Mortal Kombat is a little bit of an older one. It's been enhanced and added to. There's a lot there that you can play with. One of the very first archetypes that I worked with when I was very young, I was probably in my pre-teens and early teens, was Xeno Warrior Princess. <laughs> I am a person who does not put themselves forward. I have anxiety disorder. I have been described for much of my life as either shy or backward because I'm very introverted in an extroverted world. But Xena provided an energy for me to channel and work with and sort of sink myself into that allowed me to tap into my own power during a time when I did not know what the hell my body and mind were doing because they were changing so rapidly. We were changing locations for our living situation. It's a lot of upheaval in my life at that time. And the thing that I loved the most about Xena is no matter what was kind of thrown at her, she made it through. She looked at the situation and she went, I'm going to handle this. And she found a way to handle it. Yeah. I was in my preteens and there was this beautiful warrior woman wearing a leather bikini on the screen. I'm also a lesbian. Let's just connect the dots there and move on. <laughs> I definitely worked with the Tina energy as well, but for a different reason. I liked how she was interacting with Aries, mm -hmm. which had her own commanding presence. Even though he would get angry at her attempt to manipulate her or control her, she put him back in his place. Mm. So I worked with her in that way, coming into your own power, coming into your own self and approaching it as a social. This is a extroverted world, it's mostly ruled by men. Mm -hmm. I didn't have, and I still don't have that many feminine energy for that matter in my everyday life. I have more male cousins and more uncles. For friends, I have plenty of girlfriends now, but when I was growing up, I mostly had guy friends. So having Xena as this super feminine warrior energy, putting that masculine energy back in its place was very helpful for me to be able to say, okay, well, you know what? This is my boundary. Mm -hmm. You step into it. Now you need to step out. Yep. I also learned how to do her Alala yell. Uh, yes. 
that was something that was fun for me. <laughs> it's so freeing. Yeah. <laughs> Young women really just gravitated toward it because of those themes that you were talking about. She stood up to male energy all the time. She owned her sexuality. She owned her own power. Mm -hmm. The whole show was about her redemption arc from doing terrible things into finding a way to be a good person again. Another fandom archetype that I have always worked with since I was a child to the point where my mother's nickname for me as a child was her little Morticia was that Wednesday boy and Morticia Adams in particular. I love it Wednesday. Don't get me wrong. I think Wednesday is an amazing character. I would work with her if and when necessary, but Morticia archetypal energy being the matriarch of a family who is supportive of everyone in it to do their best and be their best however their best looks like, whether it was from the 60s sitcom or the 90s movies, has always resonated with me in the way that I think Xena resonated with you. Yeah. This is a woman who I wanted to be like, and still do, to some way, shape, or form, be like Morticia Adams, the way she approaches life and the way she approaches her children and her hobbies and her husband and her family members has always been something that I've wanted to somehow work with and have been working with since I was a little witchling, even mm -hmm. though I didn't know I was a witch. Yes. I think that's one of the best parts about exploring pop pantheons is that you can look back and go, I have absolutely always practice magic in one way or another. Yes, this particular pantheon archetype with Morticia Adams is very near and near to my heart. Mm -hmm. To the point where even some of my non-pop pantheon deities have taken on a form of Morticia just to be able to communicate with me throughout my life. Mm -hmm. She's a gateway for me. So there's like two different archetypal energies are coming to me and intersect at Morticia Adams. It's the Morticia Adams character archetypal energy and the gateway energy of entering into magic, paganism, as well as, you know, Shadowland. Mm -hmm. Shadowlandia is uh, <laughs> <laughs> the first, first gate, Morticia Adams. Yep. <laughs> That's how you, that's how you get in there. Mm -hmm. I love Morticia, but I am definitely more of a Wednesday Adams fan. I've worked with this energy for a very long time too. And the way that Wednesday unabashedly embraces exactly who she is and flatly refuses to change for anyone is something I still aspire to. I'm a 35-year-old woman. I still aspire to the chutzpah and determination that this little girl had, especially in the second Adams Family film with Christina Ricci, where she's at camp mm -hmm. and gets her revenge at the end. <laughs> she will not be tamed. <laughs> I love Wednesday. Mm -hmm. I think I love Wednesday, though, because she had Morticia as a mother. Mm -hmm. I fully support Adam's energy as a Adam's worker. <laughs> Please lay your Wednesday Adam's out. I will be a proud mama. 
and support you in your endeavors. And you have. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's how we roll. So we'd like to take a little section to talk about how we work with a lot of these things or ways in which you could work with them if you decide that this is something you want to try. One of the ways that you can use Pop Pantheon energy in your workings is using something like the Hogwarts houses when you're calling the corners. If you create a circle when you do magic, you can call on the energy of the Hogwarts houses, or you can call on the elements from Last Airbender as they're presented in the show and call on the creatures that rule each element, which would be the dragons for, for fire, the moon for water, badger moles for earth, and for air would be the sky bison. Mm -hmm. You can channel Uncle Iroh as a spirit guide when you desperately need comfort. He's the literal old man archetype. He's everybody's uncle, and he's wise and gentle and kind. So you could sit down and have a cup of tea with him and channel that energy and just ask for some compassionate help and advice when you really need someone. The Magicians is... Absolutely, hands down, one of my favorite fandoms. It was short-lived, but it made a huge impact on me. And anyone who's seen The Magicians knows that the way that they channel magic is with the hand-tutting movements. They use their hands to make specific movements and specific symbols to move energy and make spells. And I've started doing this in my own way, in my magic, and it's an amazing way to connect with the energy. I can feel my hands get warm. I can feel the resistance around them as though the air is becoming more solid when I'm using this. So it's really working for me. <laughs> <laughs> with these archetypes, I feel like recognizing yourself in these pop pantheons is one of those ways in which you can really study who you are as a person and how magic can work for you. In The Magicians, Quentin Coldwater, he is me. I started watching The Magicians and I actually was brought to tears a couple of different times by things that he said or things that he did or relationships that he created that I felt were deeply reflected in my own life. And he's this awkward, nerdy, shy, unassuming grad student <laughs> <laughs> with this long, crazy hair that goes in front of his face. I was like, if I was, if I was a cisgender male, I would be Quentin Coldwater. <laughs> and the thing about him is I loved all of his quirks and I love all of his nerdiness and his strangeness but he was also the hero of his own life he was the protagonist of his own life in the end mm -hmm. so I walk with Quentin Coldwater energy out into the world almost every single day I take this archetype energy with me and I ask myself, what would Quentin do? And sometimes he wouldn't do the right thing, but that's okay. When I need to tap into my own magic and I've sort of lost my path, I turn to Quentin because he did that quite often in the show. Mm -hmm. And he got to do everything that he set out to do. 
he accomplished every single one of his goals. The path to get there was circuitous, but I also hold him up as an example to myself of how you just need to keep walking. You just need to keep walking your path. So working with archetypal energy is allowing yourself to become the hero of your own story, even if you're working with an energy that is perceived by pop culture to be more villainous or nefarious than the other characters. Mm -hmm. Whether it is the Marvel Cinematic Universe Loki archetype that you're working with, or if you're working with Disney archetypal energies, or if you're working with the magicians and Quentin Cole monitor is your way in to understanding how to walk hero's journey mm -hmm. throughout your life and through everyday incidences. Stepping out your front door can be a reason why you pull archetypal energy from your particular fandom. Mm -hmm. The way you work with Quentin, I will work with Carmen San Diego when I'm traveling. Oh, that's interesting. I won't do it on an everyday basis because I don't travel on an everyday basis, not anymore. But where in the world is Carmen San Diego? And where in time is Carmen San Diego, which are two games from the 2000s, early 2000s, as well as the new Netflix series mm -hmm. of Carmen San Diego. She travel around the world and get done what she feels needs to get done, whether or not society decides that this is the way to get it done. Yeah. And when I'm traveling, and I'm, I'm sure this is super common with a lot of people, I get a lot of traveling anxiety. Yeah. But I don't let it stop me, just like I don't see Carmen San Diego allowing her potential problems that lie in front of her, stopping her from solving her problems. Yeah. From getting from point A to point B. She's going to get to Rome however she gets to Rome, and it's not going to get in her way if the train happens to run late that day. Mm -hmm. She'll hop on a bus or a hot air balloon and find herself in Rome. So I will definitely lead with Carmen San Diego whenever I'm setting out on a journey, whether it's going to vacation in a new space or if I'm feeling particularly anxious of stepping outside and commuting that day. Carmen San Diego energy is what I'm pulling up. Yeah. You can draw energy literally from any fandom or from historical figures too. This isn't limited to fictional characters. It could be real historical figures who you admire. Uh, Bodicea is the first one that comes to mind for me. <laughs> but there's also people like Amelia Earhart and Ada Loveless and Marlena Dietrich is one that I have recently started to truly deeply admire. She was a member of the Sewing Circle with Greta Garbo and many other actresses of that time period who were part of a secret lesbian community in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Their fabulousness and the way that they were true to themselves despite all of the opposition was deeply inspiring. So again, these are figures that we can learn about, we can research and sort of call on and channel that persona and that energy. And keeping in mind too, with historical figures, you have the extra seasoning of this was a real person. This was a real human being with real human being flaws. And look what they accomplished anyway. You also have the added benefit of being able to work with pilgrimages, spiritual pilgrimages, because these were real historical figures. You can find yourself going to Edgar Allan Poe's gravesite. 
yeah as part of your spiritual practice to garner inspiration from his archetype mm -hmm. or you could find yourself going to los angeles and looking for the star of any particular historical actor or actress to also call up their energy and to make that sacred pilgrimage within yourself Mm -hmm. Two examples of how you could also incorporate archetypal energy into your practice, whether it's through calling on that energy in your everyday life or in a working, or if it's something that you're just trying to honor by going on a sacred path and a sacred journey in order to resonate more with that particular archetypal energy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, I think that's all we have for today on Pop Pantheon Archetypes. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast and it has sparked some inspiration for you to dive deeper into your own fandoms or find new ones and start interacting with these characters and these historical figures to incorporate them into your magical practice. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to interact with more of our content, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Pinterest. We also have a storefront on Society6 where you can purchase magical and enchanted artwork, and you can visit us at our blog, which will be in the resources in the description for this podcast. Thanks so much for joining us, and we hope that you have a magical time. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye. Bye.